You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 3, as was read for us, and I'll explain why we're landing in Genesis 3 in just a moment. But before we get into the text, it's important for us to define hope and to use this definition to guide us through our study. And so here's a working definition. Hope is the anticipation of something or someone who will fulfill a valuable need. Let me say that again. Hope is the anticipation of something or someone who will fulfill a valuable need. Now, to illustrate that, I need to have you join me in a time machine. And some of you are going to roll your eyes on this, but trust me, even in modern day, we have the same thing going on. But for me, it takes me back to around this time of the year. My family would get in a car and we would drive north to Minneapolis, to Minnesota, and we would spend time with my dad's parents. And we would arrive and enjoy catching up and uh, just being at grandma and grandpa's house. And we would enjoy a meal. And then we would go to the living room where my parents and grandparents would watch Lawrence Welk. You can Google that later. But we kids, oh no, it's not woo <laughs> But we kids would go find the Sears catalog. Now the Sears catalog was essentially the OG Amazon. You could find everything in the Sears catalog. And there were amazing photos strategically arranged on all of the pages. And, and we as kids would, would race past the pages of power drills and, and power tools and, and appliances and the latest trends in fashion. Who cared about that? And I would almost rip all of those pages to get to this page. It's the Star Wars toys page. Now, I just want you to soak in this for a moment. Down here on the bottom left, we have the Darth Vader punching buddy. I mean, Christmas dreams are made of these. We have the X-Wing fighter, we have the Moss Eisley diorama. The lightsaber down in the bottom right. This was dreams coming true. And then the coup de grace, upper left, the Death Star space station. Every kid's dream in those years. And this was an opportunity for us as kids to come to the realization that we had needs we didn't even realize existed. To actually see on these pages in full color what would fulfill those needs. And then to be able to place a value on the fulfillment of those needs. And then to be able to set our expectations on a process of hope. You see each one of these photos has a square and a number in them. And in those moments, we would become army code decryptors to be able to find where that number was connected to a description. And we would, you all know it, we would circle the item that we wanted. We would dog ear the page. And then we would strategically remind our parents and maybe take it with us when we sat in a stranger's lap who was wearing red because we had a need that would be fulfilled, that we placed value on, that we would set our expectations for, which is ultimately the process of hope, isn't it? And you see, what Genesis 3 provides for us is really a 
framework for true hope. Because every one of us have a process of hope right now in your life context that you are pursuing. But Genesis 3, in maybe a familiar passage, will highlight a four-part framework so that we can ensure that during Advent season and every season, we can be on the path to true hope. The first point of our evaluation is this. Evaluate your need for hope. Evaluate your need for hope. And in Genesis 3, verse 1, we're introduced to the first director of marketing and advertising. It's described as a serpent. Now, the serpent. Now, as an expositor, as somebody who wants to understand the Scripture in its own terms, and then once we understand that, bring us to a point of application, I I do need to just briefly touch on who I think the serpent was. A lot of debate has occurred, and many more books will be written about it, but I think this was a physical, literal creature in the garden that God created that somehow Satan himself manipulated. But that's not the point of this text. It's not to try to figure out what this serpent was, what it looked like, and how Satan worked through it. The real point of the text is the next phrase. Would you look at it? The serpent was more crafty. Now, I did a dive on the word that's translated crafty, and I came up with this definition. is to present something that will appeal initially to the targeted object that will lead the object to willfully end at the desired destination. Now, I know that's a long definition, but, it, but it's really this. It's, it, it's presenting something that will appeal initially to the target object to to move that targeted object willfully to a desired end. And that ultimately is marketing. In fact, what I'm going to do over the next five minutes is summarize what four years of undergrad provided for me. My degree was business marketing. And so I'm going to give you Four P's of marketing, and I would encourage you to write these down, because here's what's going to happen. It's going to actually inform you as a consumer how you're being manipulated. The first P is this. It is product. And by product, you might initially want to run to what the product actually is, but there's so much more to consider with this first P. Before we even get to product, we've got to be thinking about the customer. What what are the needs of the customer? What are the perceived weaknesses? How will our product actually meet those needs? How do we identify how we elicit a need in the customer? But then we also have to be thinking about competition. Who are the other competitors in our industry? What do they do that we should be doing better? And then you also have to look at the strengths and weaknesses of your product. So that's that's the first piece. So as you watch advertisements this afternoon, as you go out to the Amazon Sears catalog, just know that the pictures, the descriptions, the videos that are associated with it are taking this P into consideration. The second P is price. Now, with price, it's a little bit more complicated than the price that you see that you'll pay. As a marketer, I've got to think about all the costs that went into it. I've got to be thinking about all of the people and the, the, the salaries that are associated with that. And I have to identify every cost that went into that product and then arrive at a price that gives me margin, gives me profit, and, and is not so high that studies tell us the consumer is unwilling to pay. 
That's the second P. The third P, and I, I see some glassy stairs. Stay with me on this. The third, three, the third P is placement. Where is this product going to be placed? Is it going to be placed on a shelf? Is it going to be placed on a billboard? How is it going to be packaged? How is it going to be promoted on social media as a, as a placement? All the while moving to the fourth P, which is promotion. How is the need going to be communicated? And that's actually where it ties in. Marketing is ultimately about need. It is ultimately about showing you that you have a need. It's funny, we would arrive in Minnesota somewhat content, but knowing that Sears catalog would somehow reveal to us a need we didn't even realize we had. That's marketing. That's what the serpent was doing. In fact, look at the target audience in verse 1. The serpent said to the woman, now that's not a throwaway phrase. That's not just a detail that is insignificant. To show you that, would you go back to chapter 2? It says in verse 16, the Lord God commanded who? The man. The command that God gave to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was given by God directly to the man. Now, there's no further evidence that God also gave the command directly to the woman. He may have. He may not have. But we can rest assured that God expected the man who was given the command to effectively communicate this to his wife. Serpent targets Eve. And he targets Eve, showing her what her need is. And most of us would say that it's the fruit of the knowledge of the Tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but, but the, the actual product that he's peddling is found in verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and then look at this, and you will be, look at the phrase, like God. That's the product the serpent is peddling. The serpent wants us to think that we need to be like God, to think that outside of our relationship with God, there is some intrinsic need that we have that he can satisfy. But the fact is, and the tragedy is, that the woman actually had no needs. In fact, go back to chapter 1, verse 31. At the end of the sixth day, we see a a formula that has been occurring repetitively throughout the creation narrative. God looked at his creation and he saw that it was good. But then we get to verse 31 of chapter 1 and it says God saw everything that he had made and behold it was, what does it say? Very good. It is complete. There's no need for creation. Creation has what it needs, and humanity has what it needs, and, and what it needs is an unhindered relationship with God. But the serpent is somehow manipulating the situation, trying to show this woman that she has a need. And look at the progression of how she evaluates it. Verse 6, it says that she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Now, what you see in this process is a very self-centered, horizontally defined process of evaluation. 
You don't see throughout this process any effort for Eve to look vertically. She's not asking God, what do you think about this? She's not asking her husband, what did God say about this? She is simply swallowing the advertisement of the serpent. So she took it, she ate it, she gave it to her husband, and he followed the same process. You know, as a kid, I didn't even consider that those power tools could have actually helped me help my dad. They didn't even allow me to consider that maybe I could take what was going to be spent on me and contribute to a new appliance that would help our family. All I cared about was getting to that page where the toys were. But the fact is, those toys end up in a box somewhere. Now they're on display in my office, much to the chagrin of my wife. But this was actually one of those toys on that page And it just sits there, does nothing for me, gathers dust. What a reminder that everything the world offers us that promises to satisfy our deepest, most satisfying needs will fall short. So before we move to the second evaluation, here's a quote. Evaluation of true need must be viewed through God's lenses, not ours. Beloved, even listen, as you're putting together your wish list, and there's apps now where you can put the the list out there, and it dynamically updates the prices, and if somebody buys it, it reserves it, and it's, it's fascinating. But even as you're putting those clothes and that technology and whatever it is that you're putting on your wish list, even view those things through the lens of God's perspective. That's where the path of true hope begins. So we have this first evaluation of need. Then second of all, evaluate your fulfillment of hope. So now that the need has been identified, now we move to the process of what will fulfill that need, what will solve that need. And we have to kind of back into this and see that the first parents, Adam and Eve, are using their horizontal lenses again. Verse 5. The promise of the product of being like God is unfulfilled. Verse 7, the eyes of both were opened and they knew, here's their wisdom, here's what they realized, they're naked. Did not deliver the God-like promise that the serpent gave. And so as we see their reaction to this, we actually see what lenses they're using. Because listen, beloved, when we realize that something does not fulfill, how we respond to that reveals the source of our true hope. And somehow in our innermost conscience, we know that the world will not satisfy, don't we? I mean, I'm looking out on a lot of young people, but there's a few of you that are my age and older. There's enough experiences that we have in life, whether it's toys whether it's grown-up toys, whether it's relationships, whether it's career pursuits, that when we get that beautiful package, it does not deliver on our ultimate need. And so when we come to that realization, then we are faced with the opportunity to reveal the, the source of our true hope. Adam and Eve, here's a quote, attempted to fulfill their need with lenses that the serpent offered, which is their own. 
And we see that in the way that they respond to the realization that their ultimate need was not fulfilled. Look at what they do once they realize they're naked. They sew fig leaves together. I'm not a clothing expert. I have to ask my wife before I come to church every Sunday whether or not it passes. Sometimes she's still asleep, so I apologize. But I do know this. The solution for nakedness is not fig tree leaves. It does not feel good on the skin. And so what is happening is that Adam and Eve are actually continuing to try to solve this thing themselves. And I can look back on the history of my toy wish list from the Sears catalogs, and sometimes I got exactly what I wanted. There he is. Sometimes I didn't. I wanted the plastic snow speeder. I got the die-cast snow speeder. But whether I got my wish, whether it was an incomplete list, whether it wasn't the one exactly that I got, it was a constant reminder of where fulfillment is found. So I want to ask you these two questions before we move on. Number one, what would you say is your greatest need? What would you say is your greatest need? Would you use this moment right now to, to if you're, maybe you're right now in a, in a current of this is a religious activity, and you're just respecting me by looking like you're paying attention, you're respecting your spouse or the person who brought you, by saying that you would come, I want to move this beyond religion to personal. What would you say is your greatest need? The Christmas season is a good opportunity for that, isn't it? Because if your mind goes to anywhere that the world has to offer you, you've got the wrong lenses on. And I can promise you the same thing that Solomon promised. It will all come up short. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. The book of Ecclesiastes reminds us the world offers enjoyment. There are things to enjoy in this life, but it never delivers the ultimate fulfillment. So what is your greatest need? And then number two, what would truly fulfill that need? You see, this is your opportunity and mine in the process of arriving at true hope to evaluate our fulfillment of hope. Number three, evaluate your valuation of hope. And the word valuation means to provide an estimation of something's worth. So valuation is your estimation of something's worth. And, and, and I think in this process, if we can kind of stick in the kid world and in our growing up years and in the Sears catalog illustration, it gives us an opportunity to see how this valuation plays out. Because listen to this quote, often we determine the valuation by the reaction of the one hoping. Meaning this, isn't it fascinating with little kids, how their behavior shifts in the last month out of the year? Because they know that somewhere someone is making a list, they're checking it twice, they're going to find out who's naughty or nice. And so all of a sudden, these kids spend a few weeks doing dishes, folding clothes, brothers playing with their sisters. Because the value that they place on their need being fulfilled supersedes the cost of all of those activities. 
What's interesting is the reaction of Adam and Eve when they realize that their ultimate needs are not being fulfilled. Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. By the way, this is one of the most important phrases in all of Scripture. Embedded in this phrase, walking in the garden, is one of the themes that continues all the way through the end of Revelation. The word walking means to have a close, intimate relationship. This word is found in Leviticus 26, 11 and 12, describing the tabernacle, that God says, I will walk among my people. I will dwell among my people. And you see that theme continue as you get to the temple in Jerusalem. You see that theme continue, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, within the church, who we are today. And you see that theme completed when the voice from heaven says this in Revelation 21, 3, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man in the new Jerusalem, right here in this phrase. So, so the Lord God is walking in the garden. This is a fork in the road where they have come to the conclusion that they thought that their intrinsic most deep need would be fulfilled, and it wasn't, and the value that they place on the source of hope is revealed in their response. It says in verse 8, they hid themselves. They're still focused on themselves. Verse 10, they begin to give excuses. Verses 12 and 13, they begin to blame shift. And in the valuation of the need fulfillment, we see where the center of hope is found. Here's a quote. Hope drives us to shift our valuation. Hope drives us to shift our valuation. When you look back on 2023 and you look at all of the calendar events, you know what's fun to do at the end of the year? We, we did this the other night, is to go back through family photos. Go back to your photos in your phone from 2023. What do they tell you about your values? What do they tell you about what's most important to you? Is it how you present yourself and what others think about you? What do they reveal about your valuation and then point back to fulfillment and then point back to ultimate need? Number four, evaluate your expectation for hope. So now that we've identified a need and then something will fulfill what is lacking and then we reveal in the way that we're progressing in our hope of where we're placing our value, what, what is the center of our hope, we move to look at our expectation for hope. Now, this is the section that was read for us in the Advent reading, and I confess that some of you might have reacted like I did because I forgot what passage I asked to be read, and I'm listening to that thinking, that's kind of a Debbie Downer. But we have to get here before we understand true source of hope. This is one of the most devastating sections in all of Scripture. There's judgments being poured out on creation, because of sin. The first one is poured out on the serpent, verse 14. And again, as an expositor, let me just quickly say that as you look at these judgments, you see that there was a prior condition, the judgment is decreed, and then the new condition is different than the prior condition. 
So, so when the serpent, when the snake is told that it will crawl on the ground and in the dust, that is different than the prior condition. So I believe, and I don't know all the details of this, that somehow the animal, the serpent before this moment was upright. Maybe it had legs. Maybe it had feet. I don't know. But it shows that the judgment led to a different condition, which is more important for us as we begin to focus on Adam and Eve. Look at verse 16. The woman was told, your pain in child labor, which by the way, it seems like from what the judgment is that there would have been pain prior to the fall, but now it's multiplied exponentially. So many personal experiences I could bring into this, but I'll leave it there. A second judgment placed on the woman is said here that her desire will be for her husband. And a lot of ink has been spilled. A lot of trees have been killed trying to figure out what, these, what this means. And, and I would submit to you that it means this. It means she will not naturally be content to submit. God's design is that the husband would be prophet, priest, and king to nurture his wife toward Christ-likeness. That was always the design. And and embedded in this is that the man's natural tendency after the fall is going to be to give away these responsibilities. And I'm, I'm looking out in a room where some of you are doing this. But I'm also looking out in a room where some of you wives are either tired of your husband not fulfilling your expectations or the Bible's expectations, or you just are giving in to this natural tendency. And and when your husband says, I got to go ask the boss, you kind of feel good about that. When somebody says, I see who wears the pants in your family, you kind of feel good about that. Both of those are wrong. Let's lay aside what the world's saying about patriarchy and and all of the offenses that have taken place as men have not lived out their biblical design. And let's focus on what God did here. And he said, naturally, women, wives, will not naturally be content to submit to their husbands, and husbands will not naturally lead their wives well. And that's why we need the hope that is embedded in this section. We'll get to that in just a moment. So men, Adam is judged. Why? Verse 17. Here's where I grabbed this from. He's judged because he listened to his wife. He was supposed to be prophet, priest, and king. I think that would have been an interesting scenario if Eve would have sinned and the husband would have said, no, that's unrighteous. That would have been interesting. But he didn't. He gave up his prophet, priest, and king responsibilities and he ate. God judges him by verses 17 and 18, saying that your labor and your efforts will not be cooperative. Verse 19, as a rule, you will not have enjoyment from your labor, which, by the way, there's a lot of men who say, you know, I've got a job. I can't believe they pay me to do this. But you know, a lot of those men are so embedded in their pursuit of that job and finding enjoyment in that that they have left their wives in their wake. All of this is the result of the curse. Then verse 24, both of them are driven out of the garden, which by the way, I don't think the tragedy of that is that they no longer had access to the tree of life. I think the tragedy of that is that their walking with God had been corrupted. That the dwelling with God unhindered was no longer possible, which leaves them in this place needing hope. 
Listen to this. How we handle expectations of hope reveals our framework of hope. Said another way, how you handle unmet expectations will reveal your source of true hope. We see this play out with kids as they anticipate Christmas. They're so antsy and they can't wait for Christmas to get here. Why? Because of the Christmas Eve worship service where they will light candles and focus on Christ. No, it's because of gifts. You see kids turning into the kids from Willy Wonka. I better get everything on my list. You see kids that have the Death Star space station on their wish list that when their friend says it's lame and that Rock'em Sock'em Robots is the ultimate gift, all of a sudden they change the night before Christmas. How we handle our expectations reveal the source of hope. And and here's what I love about this. I, I hope you can follow me on this and I hope I'm right about this. But I think you can see that Adam changes his expectations. Let me show you this. Verse 20 of chapter 3. The man called his wife's name what? Eve. Let me me take you back to where Adam first started calling things names. Chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. So that's the task God gave on day six. Adam gave names to every creature and that was its name. Also on day six, Adam has a little surgery. I would love to have access to this anesthetic. He has this deep sleep, and when he wakes up, ba-boom, there's this beautiful creature next to him. And so he does the same thing that he'd been doing all day with this new creature. He gives her a name, and it says, she shall be called, what does it say? Woman. And then the next phrase helps us understand what the name woman meant, because she was taken out of man. Or, in other words, the name woman simply means counterpart of man. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But what's interesting is this kind of reveals a more horizontal perspective of Adam. Wow, this beautiful creature is my counterpart, woman, or woman, I've heard that said before. Here's what you see when we get to verse 20 of chapter 3. You see that Adam's focus is now more vertical. The man called his wife's name Eve, and then here's the phrase that explains what the name Eve means, because she was the mother of all living. And what I think this does is draw our attention back to the fact that Adam is now reflecting on the commands of God. Because the first command of God in Genesis 1.28 was, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now what changed Adam's perspective? Because we just read many verses of judgment. But I think Adam was able to see the source of true hope that is embedded in this list of judgments. Verse 15 I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what we see in this, beloved, listen to this, is both advents of Christ. 
Because God began to bruise the serpent's head with the baby in the manger. The process began there. The kingdom was inaugurated. Remember, Jesus in Mark 1, 14 through 15 says, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. It all began in the manger. The bruising took place in the manger, and the death blow was dealt on the cross to forgive the sins of those who would believe. See, that was the first advent. But the kingdom will be completed And the judgment will be complete when Christ returns to set up his kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. And we're rapidly approaching there in our study of the book of Revelation. So how does this impact us? How do how you handle your expectations met and unmet reveal the source of your hope? Here's a quote, often unmet or anticipated unmet expectations result in some ugly, harmful, even some debilitating patterns. What I mean by this is this. Have any of you ever been told that you're a pretty negative person? Anybody ever told you that you're pretty cynical? That you're sarcastic? That you're overly joyful? that you love being around people, that you hate being around people. And most of us would say, okay, pastor, now you're talking about personalities. I can't help my personalities. I want to move beyond that. I think a lot of the patterns that we display in our lives that come across as personalities are actually ruts created by our response to met and unmet expectations. And a lot of people who are overly positive are trying to avoid reality. People who are overly wanting to be with other people are fearful of being alone. People who want to be alone are fearful of the hurt and the pain of being around other people. And we could go on and on and on. And I think when we are on the wrong trajectory of hope, when we begin with some horizontal need, thinking that something the world can provide will fulfill that need and then place a value on that and then that drives our expectations i think it leads to some pretty tragic ruts in our lives so what the story of adam and eve provide us with the embedded centerpiece of the hope that is found in christ in verse 15 is an opportunity to recalibrate our framework for true hope would you bow your heads and close your eyes The Advent season is an opportunity for us to really dig into this. Is your hope some future event where all the family is going to be together and you are hoping that it will be joyful this time? Is your hope that your boyfriend or your girlfriend will give you a gift that communicates their ultimate love for you? Is your hope that something on your list will somehow deliver, that the promotion at the end of the year will somehow be the end all? We could go on and on and on, but this Christmas season and the end of the year is really a great opportunity for us to evaluate our source of true hope. And the tragic path of Adam and Eve serve as the opposite of where our framework should be. 
See, our need begins with the lenses of God. Do you, do you see your life the way God sees you? That your ultimate need is salvation through the completed work of Jesus Christ and a forgiveness, not of things that you've done, but of who you are, your sin nature. Is your ultimate need to be in right relationship with him by committing your life to Jesus Christ as your king? See, that's where true need and true hope begins. And the fulfillment of that need is Christ. And the value that you place on him will be revealed as your expectations in life are met and unmet. You see, relationships come and go. Career jobs come and go. Star Wars toys come and go. But the one who lasts forever is the one who declares himself the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his gospel is the gateway for you to be in relationship with him. That if that completed work of Christ is applied to you, you will dwell with him forever. Friend, on this first Advent Sunday, where is the source of your hope? Father, I thank you for the tragic story of Genesis 3. Because in the middle of tragedy, we see our own humanity. In the middle of tragedy, we see your character brilliantly put on display. But most of all, in the middle of tragedy, we see the source of true hope. May the lenses that we view our needs through be yours. May the fulfillment of that need be Christ as primary. May the way that we respond to circumstances in our life show that we place ultimate value on him. And may we live a life of expectation for him and him alone. All for his glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.